Hello and welcome to Radio SGN. I am one of your humble hosts, A.V. Eichenbaum. Pronouns they, them, and I just discovered I'm a soft autumn. Uh, with me, as per usual, is Lindsay Anderson, she, her, with a special guest today. Yes, my special guest is Chugs, one of the seven puppies living in my kitchen. Chugs is too young to have uh, pronoun preferences yet, and it's just Chugs. Hello, Chugs. What's your color palette? Color palette? Um... Yeah, do you know? You know, I just wear a lot of earthy colors. Today mm. I'm wearing like a brown skirt and a tan tank top. A lot of black too. Um, green, I wear a lot of green. Yeah, I'm trying to adjust because I have these sort of like olive undertones mm. to my, my skin. And when I'm out in Seattle, you know, I don't get as much sun as I'm used to. Yeah. It's been interesting kind of adjusting because I just wear a lot of black because of, you know, depression. Mm. And I'm thinking that maybe that's not always the best look for me these days. I've been wearing a lot more like browns and tans. Um, I love wearing a good green. A good olive green looks good for me. Fashion. <laughs> Something I do not know enough about. I am learning a lot more. Um, my partner's a winter. I can see she's, that, yeah. Yeah, she's got darker tones. She's very pale. Mm-hmm. When we went to California for my mother's wedding, she burned like crazy. None of my family burned and she just got roasted. Uh, it was pretty funny, actually. Poor Gabby. Gabs, I know you listen to the show. I'm just going to roast you on air for a hot second. Don't. You know, she's burned so easily. I know. She also bruises really easily. Me too. too. Is Gabby anemic by chance? Is this too personal to say on the air? I don't know. She might be. I'm anemic. And I actually, I look very beat up today, um, especially in my skirt. Because the other day I was in QFC. Uh, The QFC on Broadway, you know, is two stories. Mm. And I was going up the stairs, and in front of everybody, I fell, and I hit my knees on the stairs, and so I've got identical bruises on my knees. And it's from the QFC stairs. Anybody that sees me with bruised knees, that's why. Um, And then the back of my leg has a deep cut on it because I was taking out the garbage, and I had a can lid, like a can opened. You know know how they are. Yeah. From chili that I ate. And it sliced the back of my leg open, and so I'm downstairs, like, throwing out my garbage, and just blood is rushing down my leg, and... So, yeah, I, I look pretty beat You're up You're so today. fragile. <laughs> I am, yeah. You know, it, it runs in my family, though. My mom, um, also shout out Rochelle. Her birthday was Friday. Happy um, birthday, Rochelle. Yeah, happy birthday, mom. She is self-described as a delicate flower. She always calls herself that. And, like, as much as I bruise and, like, bleed a lot, you know, I'm still, like, an athlete my whole life. Mm-hmm. My mom, she, like, will f- have the the lightest fall ever, and her whole body's bruised for days. She, We've joked about, you know, what will we do when the big one happens? <laughs> and my mom's just, like, accepted that she will die. Um, I'm honestly impressed that she, like, didn't get COVID because I was worried. Because, like, this woman, she gets sick, and she's, like, out for weeks. She has chronic migraines. It's very dainty this might contribute to our very differing mindsets when it comes Mm -hmm. to you know childlike behavior oh that my mom is a delicate flower that your mom is a delicate flower is your mom not a delicate flower is your mom like a cactus uh no tina's an orchid Mm. you know a lot of upkeep yeah (laughs) (laughs) those are delicate flowers but no like in the wild they thrive without any sort of anything Mm. oh yeah no michelle would not thrive in the wild (laughs) Yeah, Tina's very determined. I mean, she came from Mm -hmm. a really rough background in Eastside Mm -hmm. San Jose. You know, um, she's a strong woman, and I appreciate that about her. Um, Yeah, Rochelle's from a small town called Sunnyside, and that describes her. (laughs) We were talking about this before we started recording, but I just, I can't abide by infantilization. (laughs) 
I just can't. We don't have to talk about this again. <laughs> yeah, we've 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 gone we've beat this one down, well, but yeah, we, this is our our differing thing, and maybe we should put a, a poll online to see how far people go. You know, because like I agree, I think that infantilizing like adults that are you know totally with it kind of gross um definitely not sexy but at the end of the day you know chugs is a little chunky baby and i will talk to him like that Um, yeah i don't i don't talk to i don't talk to babies or animals with baby talk but as we also previously discussed as fully grown adults they have the vocabulary of a five-year-old not peter though peter Mm. definitely maybe has the vocabulary of a two-year-old like i'm not even sure he's not He's got a tiny little brain, you know. If you if you see Peter in real life, he's got a small head and it reflects in his intellect. Well, when you're talking to dogs or children, like let's let's take children for example, right? When you're talking to kids, if you're not using fully complete sentences, they're mimicking the sounds you make. So if they think that they should be communicating like a baby, they're going to sound like a baby for a lot longer. It, it contributes to, you know, speech impediments later on. Mhm. But if you use fully formed sentences right away, they're going to pick up on it a lot quicker. Kids are smarter than you think. And adults should be just as damn smart, you know? Everyone should have that sort of leeway to make mistakes. But I just, you know, and they ever, I'm not saying no whimsy, no fun, whatever. Like, have like your Adventure Time and your Disney shit. Mm-hmm. That's great. It's fun. I, you know, I went to a wizard pub the other day. But there's a point where it's like, God, are you fucking kidding me? Like, you know what I mean? And I feel like, especially as millennials, we got to own that shit and we have to grow up at some point. You're 42, you know? <laughs> yeah, millennials grow up. Grow up, millennials. It's, millen- it's, no, gen, it's Gen yeah. Z's time. Well, and be. that's, it's not their fault. It's the parents who decided like, oh, we're going to make participation trophies and force them to oh accept. Oh my God, you sound like my dad now. <laughs> no, 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 no. He it's not mo- the participation trophies. You know, it's his fault though. Well. Like his ra- whole generation. He raised, he raised a, z- a Zoomer, two mm-hmm. Zoomers. And we have our own issues, but that mostly comes from being chronically online. Yeah, that's true. But yeah. no, I, I, don't, I don't... We were forced to accept those. The you know, participation trophies? Participation trophies. Oh my gosh. I can picture little childhood you being like, I don't want it. I didn't earn it. I didn't bleed enough for this trophy. Well, no, I, I did refuse participation trophies. I, I did. Mm. Yeah, you I did that. You earned? Yeah, well, no. I, I think that... You know, I I got in fourth grade. This is a proud achievement of mine. I got mm-hmm. a creative problem solving award. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> and then it was all downhill from there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I I just I think that you know people have to realize that you don't have to be liked or wanted by the world in order to find quality in your life. You know. Mm-hmm. I was That's trying to explain profound. the other day that I think that maybe my reincarnation this time around is just to be miserable. Like, I've created my own hell. By all accounts, I was given every uh, opportunity to sort of, you know, bolster myself up to grow well, as a person. I don't think that's true. Because you know me, and you're on mm-hmm. a Zoom call with a puppy right now. How could you be miserable on a Zoom call with a chunky puppy? Joy is fleeting, uh, <laughs> and I create my own problems. You know what I mean? We are all great masters at creating our own hell. And I think that were I to go on some sort of Dante Alighieri, you know, Divine Comedy-esque Inferno situation, Weird Al would be my Virgil. You know what I mean? Yeah. For sure. 
That dog is really cute, though. He is really cute. He's dancing the whole time you're talking about hell. <laughs> anyway, we got a great show for you. We got D'Lo as our guest this week. Fantastic comedian. I got to see him perform at the Tuzvir community show that he was headlining. That flew all the way up from L.A. to do that, which is just fantastic. Wow. We talk a little bit about that. Um, and then we're going to talk about Dungeons and & Dragons and maybe <laughs> Goblin Core because fashion. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let's get into let's it. Let's get into the shit. All right. All that and more after these messages. That felt very NPR-esque. I liked it. So why the Cheese and Meat Festival? We started the Cheese and Meat Festival to bridge the gap between artists and producers, farmers, and local distributors. We wanted to highlight what it means to be a farmer, what it means to be a producer, and what does that mean for you to consume their goods. One of the important things for us is valuing what the vendors bring back to the festival. Either you're purchasing a ticket for the festival or you're coming as a vendor. And what that means to us is we're all stakeholders in this one movement called the Buy Local Movement. At the Cheese and Meat Festival, we're not only about cheese and meat. We started with the concept of building this festival around charcuterie and around cheese, but we quickly realized what we needed to do was create an artisan food and beverage festival. Why? Because we believe in the idea of pairing and the idea of our artisan producers. We don't charge our vendors to take part in the festival. In fact, we pay them to be there. You want to connect back with that farmer. You want to learn about their story, about the names of their cows. When we look at our farmers, we see them enjoy the process. And it's that gift that they give back to you when you come to the Cheese and Meat Festival. Support for Radio SGN comes from Book It Repertory Theatre, presenting In the Time of Butterflies, September 24th through October 16th. From the novel by Julia Alvarez based on true events, this story of resistance and hope centers on four sisters as they grow up and work to overthrow the Trujillo dictatorship in the Dominican Republic. For tickets, visit bookit.org. That's B-O-O-K-I-T.org. At Chateau Saint-Michel, their wines are a force for gatherings and conversations to serve the well-being of their consumers, their communities, and their land. Chateau Saint-Michel is a proud ally and supporter of all of their employees and customers within the LGBTQIA community, and they aim to create an inclusive environment where everyone is welcome. Plan your next trip to the Chateau by visiting www.ste.michel.com. Joining me today via Zoom, someone I'm very excited for you all to meet. He is an actor, a writer, a comic, a winner of a Cultural Trailblazer Award from the City of Los Angeles' Department of Cultural Affairs. He's been in Transparent, Sense8, Mr. Robot, so many other things, so many awards to his name. And you're in 
bros as well, right, with Billy Eichner. We just had an interview with him um, in the paper recently. And let me say, as a Californian, it's great to have another Californian on the show. Uh, please join me in welcoming Dilo. Dilo, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me, Ash. I'm so glad that we can make this work. Absolutely. Me as well. You're here in part due to our working with Tezvir, the organization uh, for uplifting South Asians and uh, South Asian art and culture here in Seattle. Would you care to tell us a little bit about your relationship with them and what's going on over there? Yeah, actually, um, I think the first time I ever did something for Tezvir was like over a decade ago. And it was for their film festival and I hosted and did some comedy and it was just such a beautiful community. In fact, I have great friendships from that first go around in Seattle. And whenever I come back to Seattle to do a show, I see some of the Tasvir homies in the crowd. And then last year, one of my mentees, an amazing queer uh, South Asian documentary filmmaker received an award from them to continue the production of one of their actually one of their narrative films and you know I'm a community-based artist even mm -hmm. though I do like you know I do play the game a little bit that industry game but I feel like these are the communities that grew me as an artist and as a cultural worker so I'm always overjoyed whenever I get asked to perform or asked to be a part of anything that has anything to do with queer South Asians or South Asians in general. But, but, but you know, like, it's like that particular kind of South Asian, it's not just like <laughs> regular style. It's like, even if you're not queer, you're, you might be adjacent because you're just down for the cause like that. You know what I'm mm -hmm. saying? Yeah, absolutely. So there is a community mic that has just happened. Mm -hmm. What drew you to a community open mic here in Seattle of all places? You know, like it's it's funny because like you would think that a community open mic is like something that you have at like a, a, a dive bar or like a poetry house, right? Mm -hmm. And um, this is going to be at Broadway Performance Hall, which is like, I believe a 300 seater. And, and so while it is a community night of expression, it is it feels like it's amplified because my ass is a feature i guess um <laughs> i know that there's other like sort of uh smaller time slotted time slots for other features as well but um they're they're kind of making the the community event sort of culminate in my performance not saying one is more important than the other but or anything like that i'm just saying that it's kind of like oh we're having this incredible night of community art in Seattle, Seattle-based artists. And can you be a part of it by closing us out? So it's a great honor. And that's why I was like, yeah, of course, I would be honored to do that. So we see a lot of representation in media for queer folks that are white. You know, that's just a fact. It's a problem that we've had at the paper over the last 40 years on occasion. How does it feel to be part of this movement of uh, growth and, and expansion, and especially in the South Asian community? There's not a huge South Asian representation in Seattle that I see on a regular basis. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, how, how does it feel to be part of that movement and what keeps bringing you back? I know you said you had some buds up here. Yeah, it's a very a variation of things that keeps bringing me back. But generally, it is community-based organizations, usually Q QT PAC or QT BIPOC mm -hmm. organizations or individuals who work with multi 
multiple organizations calling me back to do something. On occasion, it has been a university, um, but because um, I do the university college circuit. But I, I've, you know, it's so it's so incredibly amazing that, you know, I just I just saw that the South, uh, the the SoCal South Asian queer organization, which is called Satrang. So we're talking about Los Angeles, one of the mm-hmm. biggest cities in the states, had an event, and this is an organization that I had been working with for decades now. Um, and they had an event. I couldn't make it. I opened one of the pictures on Instagram and I saw like a heap of South Asian queer people that I did not know. Mm. And I love that. And I know the same shit is happening in Seattle, you know, like yeah. I know that there's more and more people who are coming out as queer or who just understand like, oh yeah, like I don't have to fit this mold anymore. You know, I can mm-hmm. I can be me and be attracted to whoever and just be free and expressive in that. And so, um, you know, even though it's not, like it might not feel like there's a big community in Seattle, I feel like it's just a matter of time. I think that we're gonna have a great turnout. Um, and I know even though this is only airing afterwards, I could already say that y'all missed an <laughs> fantastic show if this is the first time you're hearing about it. Yeah. Yeah. That's fantastic. So like I mentioned in the intro, you're a Californian. Mm-hmm. You're from SoCal originally, right? Mm-hmm. So I grew up Bay Area, Bay Area adjacent. Yeah. Um, I'm born in San Jose, which we like to say is the Bay, but it's Silicon Valley, no one, no one really cares. Yeah. But uh, I like to observe cultural differences, Seattle to California. I don't get a lot of SoCal folks on the show. Oh. Um, and I was wondering, if you had any observations about the differences between the two cities. In terms oh, of yeah, I have, I have plenty. But you know what it <laughs> is, is that LA was always kind of seen to be this, you know, Hollywood industry town. And so mm-hmm. because queer people didn't really have lucrative careers, or even ex- like, um, what is it representation, that, you know, for for a long time, LA was like the last city that queer people wanted to move to. And huh. in fact, the queer community here in Los Angeles was so small. Um, like, of course, there's always been like a very gay, predominantly white male sort of thing happening in West Hollywood. Yeah. But as far as like ultra queers, the radicals, the the um, the folks who are you know weren't just fighting for gay marriage, but were fighting for like equality across different. different community lines LA wasn't the place to be like people used to like just be like why do you live in LA and I'd be like well you know it's it's where I grew up and they're like but why would you want to stay there because I actually (laughs) had a really great following up in the bay yeah Um, I can I could go to the bay well I recognized your name when when you came up because of the bay area shows and stuff so yeah like yeah and so no 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 that's that's all good and so You know, but I was like, I love LA. I love LA for so many reasons that like, you know, especially during that time that people were poking fun, I'd be like, but you know, when things get done here on a queer tip, it is like, it's like, you know, you're amongst fam. It almost felt like a small town for Mm -hmm. LA, you know, because the queer community was, was smaller. Now it is different. Like 
I mean, people complain about LA traffic now more than ever. And I'm like, because nobody's <laughs> from LA. Everybody's trying to figure out how to drive in LA. Um, but it is, it's huge. And um, people are coming out left, right, and center now. And so the community has just like got bigger and bolder and badder. And representation in the industry is like, you know, the, the conversations we're having now in regards to like storylines for queer people are completely different than just even seven, eight years ago, you know? Mm-hmm. So a lot of a lot of things have changed. Um, LA also um, remained cheaper, even though what's cheaper to to live off of is is um, or to live on is is you know, people can question it. It's definitely different than Middle America, but it is like New York. People were getting pushed out, um, San Francisco, and now Oakland. You know, like. It's crazy that Oakland is as expensive as it is now. It's like a hot spot for all sorts of. I can cuss. All, it's my show. All sorts of shit. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's a uh, it's truly amazing how that's developed. Seattle, when I moved here in 2017, they released an article. Uh, I think it was Wall Street Journal. It's like Seattle voted most expensive city to live. I just moved up here. I was looking for a place and. <laughs> Um, I was like, well, shit. All right, that's fine. Um, <laughs> but now it's like moving back home would be impossible. Yeah. Just, you know, yeah. even just to, like, I grew up in Gilroy, of all places, mm-hmm. which is nowhere. And it's like, it's like 1900 a month for a studio apartment, you know, wow, and you need six it. roommates. And then, yep. you know, my folks are in Santa Cruz. It's mm-hmm. 2500 for a room and a mm-hmm. house. It's insane. The whole place is on fire. Nothing makes any damn sense. I know. LA is not, yeah. LA is not too far from that, but still there's a way. You know what I'm saying? And people yeah. are moving further out and whatnot. I was, you know, I was I was in Brooklyn for a long time and I, not that I would ever live back in New York, but like the what I'm really trying to say or one of the reasons why I'm saying that is you know, you could be in SoCal and maybe you're paying a lot more but you're getting a lot more (laughs) (laughs) for sure yeah for sure cool well we are we're just about out of time Mm. um where can folks find you online yes all of my handles my website is under d loco kid that's d-l-o-c-o-k-i-d that's instagram it's facebook if people are using it it's my website um and while I'm like, I'm super excited and super jazzed about like all the projects that I'm a part of, um, my social media game, I got to be honest, is not like the best, like I'm not posting <laughs> every day and sometimes not even weekly, but, um, you know, it's, it's also, it's also my way of protecting my mental health. Right. So, yeah. so you're probably happier than the rest of us just not going I, on there most days. Barely, like maybe like an inch, a, a little <laughs> inch. Um, but I'm, I mean, these days I'm like, yo, if some, if y'all aren't feeling depressed, like, I don't know if I could trust you. you know For sure. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but but anyway, uh, you, everybody can keep up on there. I am trying to take bigger and bolder risks as I get older and start giving less fucks. But um, but that's where Instagram seems to be the place where where people can where I feel like I could at least do the bare minimum and 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 get people excited. So for sure, and that's at Deloco Kid. That will also be in our show notes, listeners at home. Um, 
is there anything you'd like to like to plug before we head out today? Anything you'd like to say to our well, listeners? Nothing, nothing to plug, but I just you know I love Seattle. I I don't I don't know if that's like something that needs to necessarily be said, but every time I've come to Seattle, I've had the best time. I've had great audiences, and um, the more queers, the better. Mm-hmm. So um, you know. If that's a little snippet that can get like pulled out before the show, it's like, let's just mob it up, queer style. It doesn't matter what race, ethnicity you are, come in, come for a good time and um, let's queer it up. Because the South Asians will be there. South Asian queers will be there, hopefully. But, you know, the, the more queer, the better, right? Hell like yeah. that's a motto in life. 100%. We live by that here at the SGN for sure. Yeah. All right. Well, hey, thank you so much for being on the show. Really appreciate you taking the time out of your day. And um, yeah, take care. And we're back. Uh, D'Lo, thank you so much. If you're listening, if you're not listening, I understand. (laughs) It's fine. It's fine. (laughs) Uh, And again, thank you for being so warm and welcoming at the Desvere community show. Everyone there, super great. Uh, everyone that we've been working with at Tasvir, genuinely kind and lovely. Um, so just a big shout out to them and their journey and goal to bring positive representation to the South Asian communities of Seattle and beyond. We're going to talk about representation real quick uh, when it comes to D&D. Uh, Wizards of the Coast is suing TSR Games for uh, an unreleased game called Star Frontiers New Genesis. I think yeah, I have to called. say really quick. Oh, 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 oh he's coughing. He had a little puppy hiccup. Yeah, but before we get into this, like, are we really surprised that a game called Frontiers and New Genesis is like racist? Because like those <laughs> seem like two racist dog sure. whistles to me right there. Anybody that's like, this is a new Genesis, you know what I mean? Like that, <laughs> that is like Nazi it- <laughs> propaganda right there. And Frontier, you know, are you kidding me? Like, (laughs) Well, there's a big problem with sci-fi in general and that sort of like colonial aspect to even like Star Trek, which we've talked about on the show before. They're trying to correct that a little bit, get it a little better. But there's like, Mm -hmm. it's always got to be a battle. You know, it's always like in Star Wars, you know, there's a lot of problems with the Star Wars fandom. You can't deny it. I know you hate yourselves if you're listening. But Mm -hmm. like, at least the colonialists were like the bad guys you know the fascists were the bad guys in star trek they're going out there and colonizing space and they're like well we're bringing an enlightened way of life and they even struggle with that in the original series talking about how maybe our way of life isn't that enlightened you know yeah and they they do actually try to call themselves out especially ds9 Mm. oh Mm. (laughs) but you know they've been trying to re to redo and undo that forever and mm-hmm. I think that that's really influenced a lot of our tech culture and a lot of our culture here in Seattle. People just completely missing the point. And tabletop gaming is no different. You know, uh, it's why it's so great that D&D has been trying to sort of undo the hateful stereotypes when it comes to, you know, fantasy races like orcs and half orcs and goblins. I mean, we've talked about this off air, but mm-hmm. like... As a person of Jewish descent, I actually love goblins. And I think that if you're aligning goblins with Jews, that's on you. Goblins are little fey creatures of, with green skin and like long fingers that love chaos. 
You know, they're goblins. Goblins is goblins. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't have to be anything other than goblins. Dwarves, also Jewish stereotype, but in a different direction. I you thought it was I mean? kind of an ableist thing with dwarves, right? Like, isn't that kind of a play on no, like, that's people literally dwarfism? little people? <laughs> no, no. Fantasy dwarves are a culture of, especially Tolkien dwarves, because you can't really talk about one without talking about the other. Tolkien kind of redefined the whole genre for everybody, just like Mary Shelley kind of invented science fiction and speculative fiction, right? Tolkien took a fantasy situation, these dwarves, and he he was a big fan of biblical Jews. Tolkien was a big big Bible guy, right? So <laughs> this is pre-Israel, uh, or at least pre-Israel as we know it today. And he is like, these are people that had a land of riches and a long history, and they have been exodus from their land. And so in The Hobbit, you know, they're going to reclaim their land from Smaug, the dragon that took all their gold, right? Mm. You know, and Dwarvish is based off Hebrew. He was a linguist. Like, it, it's fully, it's a, it's a one-to-one analogy. But mm-hmm. that can also be hurtful because there's a lot of, like, oh, we love our gold and gems. We're merchants all the time. You know, we never do anything else. Yeah. And D&D has worked really hard in their new in- incarnation of D&D, D&D 1, uh, which is coming out soon. And I, I've been playtesting it a little bit. They're focused more on your background and what you were before you were an adventurer than they are on your race. Which is really cool because, you know, the different fantasy races do have different, like, powers and abilities and whatever. Uh, you know, because they come from different planes of existence sometimes. But the problem here with Star Frontiers, New Genesis, is that it is so deeply homophobic, transphobic, and racist. It's, like, baked into the gameplay. Like, it's forcing you to be like, you are this and you are nothing else. Fuck you. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And so Wizards of the Coast is suing TSR. As they should. I was talking with Daniel, who wrote this piece, about co-opting the anger of a community because you think it's the right thing to do, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, you, so you should support and amplify communities that are rightfully angry, but it's also weird to me to be like, I'm going to burn this book because I don't agree with it. You know what yeah. I mean? But at the same time, there's this battle going on between gaming culture and like old school gamers which there's a lot of problems it, it sets a new precedent because this has never been done before i'm like really trying to follow this but this is not my type of nerd i've not seen any of the movies or tv shows that you have just listed off right but when i when i said goblins yeah i know the stereotype you, yeah definitely. that's the thing but that's a newer mm-hmm. thing you know what's interesting speaking of kind of the way that especially like when we look at classic fairy tale i'm thinking like you know did you ever watch the barbie i mean you grew up with just brothers but did you watch like those barbie movies um like the princess and the popper i mean i've seen a few barbie movies i think like yeah. a neighbor's house or something but it wasn't really mm-hmm. my thing i'm thinking like that and like disney movies especially early sure disney i've movies. seen a lot of disney movies yeah yeah. You see that, like, the villains are often... Um, queer-coded. Que- they're queer-coded. They're Jewish-coded. You know, they have darker features. Like, you look at Scar. You know, he's obviously queer-coded. He's darker than all the other lions. You look at, like, in Tangled, Mother Gothel has, like, very Jewish features. She's got curly hair. She's got, you know, like, 
um, like a straight nose. And um, especially though in like those Barbie movies, you see that like all of the villains are definitely, they have those features, those stereotypes that were fed growing mm-hmm. up. Sure. Especially where, you know, like all of the princesses are, you know, blonde, tiny little things that I always saw myself in. But, you know, and again, I think that that ties into, have you seen like the, um, the Little Mermaid, the new Little Mermaid that they're making and all these people are up in arms because they made her black. That's so stupid. Um, yeah. She's a fish but, woman. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, like, it's, yeah, it's like, oh, you're mad that it's not realistic? Like, mermaids yeah. don't exist. I'm sorry to tell you that. And, you know, you see Ursula, and she's based on, like, drag queens and definitely, like, women of color. Yeah. But also that with, like, the villainizing of these characters, like goblins and stuff, we often um, change their abilities so like when somebody has a disability a visible disability like a hook arm or a scar or an eye patch they're always like scary and villainous and so that also like trains us as we're growing up not only to demonize jewish people people of color but then like people with disabilities as well and i just think that that's really fascinating when you like dive into the ways that we like really ingrain all of these isms into young children with fictional characters, you know? Yeah, and the thing mm-hmm. is also, though, like, goblins are made up, like, ancient fey creatures. Yeah. So most monsters are manifestations of our fears, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I had never heard the goblin Jew stereotype before I moved to Seattle. Really? Yeah. Mm, that was something I think I learned in college um, when right. we did, like, a deep dive into, yeah, just, like, racial stereotypes in kids' cartoons. I mean, that's the thing, right, is goblins are goblins. Mm, mm-hmm. Goblins are sometimes impulsive or greedy or dumb or conniving or whatever, but they're goblins. Growing up in a household of Jewish descent that was trying to kind of whitewash itself often. Yeah. There are a lot of stereotypes that may or may not apply to my family that uh, are Jewish stereotypes but it's like watching goblins on TV or reading about goblins in books. They were just goblins. So for me, it was really strange leaving home. started hearing all of these stereotypes uh, because I was given other stereotypes about myself from, you know, the kids I grew up with. And then to hear them be associated with something that is completely fictional, it never really tracked with me. Yeah. You know? And now it's like, I feel, because I play Dungeons and Dragons, I've played Dungeons and Dragons most of my life at this point. Goblins are goblins. I, mm-hmm. I, you know, they're not my replacement for my Jewish ancestors. But now as a Jewish person, whenever I include a goblin in my game, I have gotten comments where it's like, oh, really? Oh, and they're a business person? They're upstanding citizens? Oh, interesting. I think at a certain point, it's on us to kind of deprogram ourselves. It doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. You know, you're not born racist. Yeah. I have other problems with The Little Mermaid, if you'd like to get into those. Okay, let's get into The Little Mermaid. I feel like this is really topical. Yeah, people are talking about The Little Mermaid. I don't know. It just seems so fucking absurd. It's like, of course, racists are mad about shit. What they should be mad about is the plot of Disney's The Little Mermaid. Racists probably wouldn't be mad about the plot, but feminists should be. She gives up her voice for a man. She gives up her voice for a man, but also Ursula gives her a contract, a big corporate (laughs) entity telling kids at a young age that no contract is renegotiable. (laughs) Because what? Because she said so? She gives her a big magical contract, and then she actively works against Ariel 
therefore voiding the deal by all accounts. <laughs> Because she's now meddling in the affairs of the contract. And, and she's like, even your powerful father can't help you. No lawyer is going to undo this. It's disgusting. A corporate <laughs> entity telling kids that if you have it in writing, you're fucked forever. Who does that benefit? More corporations. You know, I have to say that this kind of thinking that contracts are binding was um, very pivotal to me as a child. <laughs> Um, when I was in like fifth grade, we had a fake economy in my class where we did like little jobs that got like paper money for it and stuff. And then you could like buy stuff with your paper money. And um, I wrote up a contract to sell an eraser to this one dumb girl in my class. And in, I wrote in little writing underneath the contract that if she ripped up the contract after signing it, that she would owe me twice the amount of money that she paid for the eraser. And if she threw the eraser away, she would owe me like three times the amount of money. And she signed the contract and then was mad that the eraser was not the size that it was in the picture that I drew of it. Even though I'd written in a little asterisk, not the size of the actual eraser. Um, and I, I was like, you owe me so much money for ripping up this contract and throwing the eraser away. But if you don't have proof of the contract, then it's void. You didn't have a copy? No, probably not. Then you like had no grade. way to prove that. Yeah. I taped it together. I, I pulled it out of the trash and taped it together. Contracts between people, verbal, physical, whatever should always be open to renegotiation because it's all mm. made up, but it is a way that we do function in a society. And to tell kids at a young age that if a sea witch <laughs> tells you you're going to give up your voice for this man and there's nothing you can do about it and then fucks you over so hard that even your godly <laughs> dad can't help you with this contract, that no one can save you, that leads to people getting into bad deals and not being able to get out. Every contract is renegotiable, and everyone should approach it like adults. Even fifth graders. <laughs> Especially fifth graders. <laughs> Speaking of contracts, Seattle teachers just approved a new contract. They were part of a union, they went on strike, they renegotiated their contract, and now everyone's better off for it. Good for them. Our last podcast, we talked about this. Teachers are very important, and they deserve to be paid more. Exactly. Teachers are important, they should be treated well. There was that Key and Peele sketch where teachers were drafted like football players. Oh, interesting. And I would love a world where that was the case <laughs> because that would be way more interesting to me. I, I do enjoy tossing the old pigskin around with the old man <laughs> or whatever, you know. Uh, I'm actually not bad at sports, which surprises people sometimes. I am actually surprised by that, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, I got it all. Um... <laughs> Sorry. Is this I'm laughing because my own personal like again, I was given pretty much every opportunity to uh to have a good life and I still am miserable of my own design. I'm sorry to hear that. <laughs> hey, I you know, it's it's just kinda of my lot in life. I don't know what to do about it except accept it and try to be content with the fact that my brain is trying to uh, kill me all the time. I think you should volunteer at the animal shelter. When I work with animals, I prefer it to be on a farm or a mm. ranch. Like, I miss doing that. Yeah. Farms are fun. You're out there. You're sweating. You're just doing your job. It's a good workout. Yeah. I come from farm people. That's <laughs> that's my background. White, white trash. Small town. Uh, that's another thing. Speaking of backgrounds, like, Romani culture is off co-opted fantasy for tieflings which are like demon spawn people? Th that's fucked. Anyway. That's what I call the little teeth that are growing in the puppy's mouth. Tieflings. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, I do not know enough about fantasy, to be honest. I'm sorry. I wish no, I could okay. contribute to this conversation more. I feel like you know a lot about racism, though. I do know a lot about racism, yeah. It's yeah. But it's hard to get mad about this and not to co-opt, like, black anger, or, you know, Asian anger. Like, we can't co-opt, but we have to appreciate, listen, and understand. Mm-hmm. So whenever I talk about this, I try to focus on what I've experienced. Yeah. Because white people are so good at being racist that they're racist against other white people. <laughs> I I don't know if this is an unpopular opinion or not. I do not think white people can be the victims of racism. I will stand by that. Do you consider me white as a Jew? Because some people don't, despite my complexion. I think that you can be the victim of anti-Semitism, but mm. I don't think you can be the victim of racism. What about my brother who's Romani looking? I think there's colorism that you can be the victim of, and that like a- applies to all races. So it's, you know, the thing where like, People that aren't white but are white passing definitely have an easier time than like people that are darker. And again, if you want to bring it back to like Disney movies too, that's like a big thing with like Mulan that um, even though it, you know, highlights um, Chinese people, the villains in the movie are darker skinned and then the, you know, princess, the main character, but you know, they have light skin. And in all cultures, you see this like emphasis on, you know, lighter skin being, you know, more valued or admired um and so yeah i think that with white people definitely white people can be the victims of colorism when you've got darker features but i don't think that that is racism in the same way that you know like black people or brown people um experience it it's not the same for sure yeah that that i can attest to but it is also like it'd be nice to live in in an egalitarian society that's mm-hmm. that's really interesting. You know, I, I haven't really thought about that a lot since college in that way. Mm-hmm. But also, I did not experience as much anti-Semitism or anti-Romani sentiment mm. in California. Yeah. Like, there was anti-Semitism, and there are still a lot of, like, you know, hippie, dippy, whatever, who are like, I'm a gypsy soul. And yeah. that fucking kills me. Sorry, if, if this is something we could get into, but you were saying some, you know, pet peeves of yours, like infantilizing. Mm. One thing I cannot stand is like when, especially it's like white men that do this, but cosplaying as poor, you know, like the van, hashtag van life people, you know, that just mm. drive around and they're like, we're nomads. We live everywhere. We sleep in a tent. But then like people across the street <laughs> from me are sleeping in a tent because like they can't afford houses and it's like gross when they do it but then it's instagram trendy when the hashtag van lifers are doing the same thing and i can't fucking stand that or like all of these rich white zoomers that have like taken over thrifting you know and made it so that like thrift stores have to jack up their prices and then people that actually need to rely on thrifting as like you know um, and i'm all for you know reusing clothes and upcycling and that and i think that it's great if everybody thrifts but i think that you know it becomes a problem for like lower income people when everybody wants to cosplay as poor for sure that's my soapbox No, absolutely. And having come from a background where I've experienced both very different styles of life, it does crack me up uh, quite a bit to see people who are doing really, really well be like, "Uh, I'm just going to be homeless. Yeah. (laughs) Because I've done that and it's not fun. Yeah. You know? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like and the worst too is they like shit on people that are actually homeless you know they're like yeah it's Ew, not he's so dirty and i won't like make eye contact with this person when i'm walking down yeah. the street but it's like it's like you're appropriating 
poor culture. Yeah. Like if there is even Although a culture. I will say like given gas prices, van life is no longer cosplaying as poor. <laughs> given given the like luxury that these people have in these fucking cars. Yeah. Like god, I wish <laughs> I could do that just to be free out on the open road. Yeah. Back you, to but my yeah, roots. you got to have like money to do it like aesthetically yeah, nice. For sure. Yeah. Makes me gets my goat. <laughs> And we could talk about this forever, I'm sure, <laughs> especially kind of given the romance of the open road and how that affects, like, climate change and how it affects, yeah. like, American culture and... Uh, colonialism in a way, too, that kind of, like, um, frontier-esque ideology. You know, yeah. that is, if we got a minute, <laughs> that's another interesting thing. Uh, one of my favorite classes I took in college was um, on race, place, and displacement. And we mm. studied the idea of home and that for people in other cultures and other countries, they don't have the same concept as Americans of home. That like in America, it's almost like a rite of passage to leave home, to like travel somewhere new, move somewhere new and make a life like, yeah. you know, outside of where you grew up. But like almost I everywhere else, there's people that it's like, this is where I've lived. This is like the only place I've lived. And you go and you'd be like, oh, have you ever traveled? And they'll be like, no, why would I? This is where I live and I love it. And it's kind of that like colonial mindset that Americans have where we feel like almost entitled to go somewhere and like we're not proper adults and we haven't grown up enough if we haven't like, you know, shed our roots and gone somewhere and made a life for ourselves somewhere away from, you know, where we have family roots and ties. And so mm. it's, we have this very different concept to like connections with land and home and familial places than like other places. So we don't even understand displacement in the ways that like immigrants experience it because, you know, at the same time, we like are wanting to make ourselves into immigrants in a way. Does that make sense? You know, like how we're just. Yeah, but when you look at nomadic cultures like the Romani. Yeah. Right. Like that movement is just freedom. It's just life. You know, like borders don't matter. Mm -hmm. They don't make any sense. They're all made up. Home is where you are, right? Home is you. Home is the people you're around. And, you know, I grew up detached from those roots, but I do really appreciate this. And I think that's why a lot of Americans romanticize this. Mm -hmm. You know, like I don't feel at home in Seattle. Yeah. Not because I don't love the city. I don't love the area. Yeah. It's because I don't have people, you know? My people are in California, but also if they're up here, I'm home. You know what I mean? Home for me is, I mean, it's being by the beach. It's being at the ocean on a gray day, you know, with people that I love. Mm -hmm. I, I, I mean, I'm sure there is a colonial mindset, especially to the yeah. wealthier van life people, but it's not my experience. Mm -hmm. and, but I haven't traveled as much as I would like to either. I think it's about facing life not to conquer it but to learn about it yeah that's beautiful if you've got the means or if you have to move there's no shame in shedding your roots because you should be your own roots you know mm -hmm. and that's not about self-sufficiency it's about you know being comfortable in one's own skin it's why i think it's so brave and laudable for people to you know express their gender and to to learn about new things and to you know what i mean Life should be about being curious, and we're super out of time. Holy shit, we're <laughs> over time. Anyway, thank you guys so much for listening. Check us out on Instagram at radio.sgn. Uh, check out sgn.org. If you want to know my projects, I'm at Photon Detective on all platforms. Thanks for listening. Fuck, we're out of time. <laughs> we'll see you in the funny pages. 
Radio SGN is hosted by A.V. Eichenbaum and Lindsay Anderson and produced by A.V. Eichenbaum. Music for this show was provided by TRG Banks and Jesse Spillane or was provided for free by Anchor. Thank you so much for listening. Check us out on SGN.org or wherever you find podcasts.